You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet, and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time, and bring your vision for the future to life one today at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started. Brown is with me today and she is a recruitment partner based in Bermuda. We're going to talk about a job survey and also what it is that global leaders need to know about employee happiness. Steph Brown, welcome. So tell me, how did you come to call this 2020 survey job happiness? Thanks, Michelle. So yeah, for me, it kind of summarized what I was trying to find out. How happy are you in your job? So it it kind of resonated and that's what I went with. And it definitely hooked people's attention and got them to complete the survey. Yeah, and I like the way your questions were also bringing in the pandemic. You know, what has happened during the pandemic since the pandemic? What kind of responses have you had that took you by surprise? I'm definitely happy to talk through some of the results. I just sort of wanted to say that this came about whereas I was reading a lot in the newspapers and it's quite negative and, you know, speaking to candidates, you know, they're worried about jobs and things. So I just thought, I want to hear from people actually what's really going on. So I was very surprised with the results on the survey, positively surprised. Some things I wasn't surprised about, but I just thought rather than rely on what's in the media and what our friends might sort of tell us, you know, let's get some real data of people on the front line that are out there in Bermuda working navigating this space and you know hearing from them so I just went ahead and used my extensive network on the island and also some Bermudians off island to get the data so yeah definitely happy to talk you through some of my findings today. That sounds wonderful. It was the big pandemic pause that moved me out of practicing law and thought leadership into podcasting. And I'm extremely happy doing this because I love having conversations. I've been an international speaker for 15, 20 years and I've got my virtual podium, but I also get to choose the topics and the people and things like that. So for me, that pandemic pause allowed me to pivot into a very positive place and reduce the places that are not so inspiring for me. So So coming to your survey, let's hear some results and some data. Yeah. So I just want to frame the survey. So I reached out to as many people as I could. And with what I do, I have access to all sorts of different types of people, technical people, different levels, different industries. So uh, I thought I was in a great position to try and cast the net wide. So I reached out to people that I know, not just job seekers. So over 60, 60% of the people that I surveyed are actually job seeking. We have answers from 40% of people that aren't. So I thought that was quite good to kind of point out as well. So I think, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask, there was actually eight in total, but one of the questions was sort of asking people, you know, are you job seeking because of the pandemic and what's happened? Sort of looking at the data and going through, 26% of people said that they have taken stock of their careers and that's the pandemic has prompted them to look for a new job job and to move and stuff. So I thought that was quite interesting to see. Another thing for me is, again, there's a lot of doom and gloom. 
bloom on the island in the newspapers and a lot of talk about all these jobs going, you know, what are we going to do? So it's quite interesting to see that over 73% of the people that did my survey said that their company didn't make redundancies or layoffs since the pandemic, which is really, I think that's quite surprising. I thought it was going to be 50%, you know, all the things we're hearing, you think it's doom and gloom. So that's really positive, I would say. So that was definitely a key bit of information that was really good to see. The questions also I wanted to kind of present to people was around sort of HR. So for me, I think on the island, with the nine years that I've been recruiting here, I've definitely seen where some firms have gaps in HR. You know, HR seems to be a function or an area within the business that, you know, is limited with resources. It's not seen as something that to maybe invest in or what have you. Maybe it's an administrative function. But I think last year, it really highlighted any companies that had gaps in HR, you know, in terms of their human resource management, their policies, their procedures as such. So I wanted to ask people how they felt their HR management team or policies or representation within their employer and how they felt about it. So there was a couple of questions that I asked. So one was, you know, how has your HR management team sort of communicated during the pandemic to you? And 15% of people said it was really badly. Um, The rest of people said they did okay, it was sufficient, but 15% said they handled it badly, which I actually think is really good from, again, a lot of what I hear is obviously people that aren't unhappy and they're job seeking. So they'll tell me a lot of negative things, which is only a true snapshot. So I was expecting that to be higher with a lot more people complaining about how HR, you know, communicated. So that was quite encouraging. On the back of that, though, I also asked, how do you value your HR team within your employer or any kind of HR that you have? And only 27% of people said that they think their HR uh, representation within their employer is awesome. Only 27% of the people that took the survey feel happy about the HR and human resource management that their employer offers. So that was quite sad to hear. So for me, that kind of then makes me think that we've got a lot more to do in terms of making employees feel protected, feeling safe, feeling valued. And that is a big, you know, you've got over 70% of the people that I've surveyed that don't have any faith or trust or don't value their HR within their employer. That speaks volumes for me. Um, Obviously getting goosebumps thinking about that, get very protective. Yeah, really good point, because this is a great service. If 70 plus employees are very concerned, leadership needs to hear about this and HR needs to pivot and improve because they're really the interface between the external bringing in potential employees and internally. So this is a valuable moment to do some work. And of course, this could have been even more highlighted where people would put up with it in the old normal. It's difficult to suffer through this in the new normal. So you've done a great service in capturing this information and also bringing it to the attention of your clients and they have a chance to make a difference make a change and we have this new normal with unique risks and things like that and we're valuing people and our place and we're taking better care of people so getting it right in HR is like a critical situation isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And I think, you know, it's a trend over the years that I've constantly seen where companies will lose good staff because, you know, they might have an issue with the boss. And if you don't have any buffer or anything in between then, the HR is just so important and valuing your people and talk a whole day about this. I know we don't have all day, but one of the things that I do see a lot on the island is there's some amazing HR people out there, but there's also somewhere and they're very driven by the decision, you know, the sort of the C-suite. So, you know, even if they 
might not agree with something, they just kind of go along with it because, hey, it's my job. I just come in. It, my view of HR is to be in there and is to support the staff, protect the staff. And if you don't see something you're happy with yourself, you need to be their advocate. I see that people will leave employers because, you know, they'll try, they'll speak to HR and then, you know, there's issues with confidentiality and what have you. So, yeah, you know, for me, if I had a company and I had 20 staff, if one of them wasn't happy at work, I would want to know about it. I would be alarmed because that one person is going to touch all my clients. Um, and if they're not happy, they're not going to represent, you know, our visions, our goals and all those kind of things. So I think for me, it's something I've felt very passionate about for a, a number of years is waking up leadership teams and the people at the top that don't really know too much what's going on on the front line. It's really waking them up to like, hey, let's start making employees feel valued, trusted. There's so much that you can do. And one of the things that um, another survey I did a few years ago before I did an event, which was how to build brand ambassadors in your organization. One of the questions that came up there was really, really, I think, so key because a lot of what I find with managers is like, don't talk to the staff. Let's not ask them what they want because they're going to say more money and we don't have any more money. You know, times are tough. And wow, the results that I got from when I asked people, what can your employer do to make you happier? Wow, it was things like, you know, make me involved in key decisions within the organizations. Let me start work earlier in the day. I'm a morning person. So it was so much more than the money. And I've had candidates leave jobs for less money because of how their employer has treated them and because of what's attractive by the other employer and all the other things that you can get. So shall I plow ahead with just a couple of other results? Absolutely. Just one second. I love the way you use the term brand ambassador, because even after someone leaves your company, they're either celebrating you or they've got stories to tell that may not be so attractive. And more importantly, I love the fact that you just brought up people being early birds or night owls, and there's even hybrids. They've now identified there are hybrids in the middle of this. So getting your best workout, I used to get more work done by 5 a.m. and 9 a.m than I could the whole week. And secondly, I also want to speak, if when I led a team, if I heard one person, be it in the coffee room or wherever, if they had a suggestion or a complaint, I was curious to know more because I have the philosophy as a leader, if one person says it, there are 10 to 20 or 100 thinking it, and they're not going to have the courage to say it. And the fact that they're saying it in the coffee room is they're so stressed about it. They've got to talk about it. So let's get it on the books. Like, what can we do to resolve it? And I must say, my my youngest daughter works for a, a fabulous international company and she has loved working from home because she is a night owl. So she really appreciates starting late and later in the day. She appreciates being able to get her coffee and slide behind her desk for an early meeting that she's prepared for the night before without having to be on the ground at her worst times. You know what I mean? And in fact, they've even added yoga and I mean, just so forward thinking. So like you said, it's not always money. It can be working in your bed biorhythms. It can be being able to share your ability to do fabulous yoga and increase the well-being of the company you work for. So handing back over to you. Yeah. And just on the back of that, I think for me, it's always remembering we're people. We're not mobile phones, you know, one size is not going to fit all. If you are afraid and you don't want to talk to your staff and find out what you can do better and how to make them happier, then good luck to you really. And I feel like the pandemic, everything that happened last year has really just forced 
us all to really evaluate. You know, a, a lot of even friends and candidates have been spending a lot of time at work, 60 hours a week, some of the crazy things that you hear. And now they've looked back and the, how they've been treated during the pandemic by their employer has resonated with them and it's and they've felt it. Some people have been getting care packages on the doorstep with cheese and wine. Others, like Steph, I've not heard from the HR for three weeks. They're ignoring me. I don't even know if I've got a job. And it's like, wow, the moment you realize that how you treat someone is like, it's just going to stay with them. And I think as well, the work that I've done over the years to try and help companies get better to kind of understand the recruitment process and, you know, best practices and things. I think I've tried to help as much as I can, but it's very eye-opening that the things that I hear, I definitely do. And again, this is what prompts me to kind of do these surveys and, and find these platforms and speak to as many people as possible because people will spend let's say six months unhappy in a job. And I think you've met me for five minutes and you're telling me all this. I've had tears, I've had all sorts. And I'm like, wow, what do you say to your friends when you've had a few drinks on Friday night? So there's so many times I want to call up a company and say, you need to speak to this employee because she's told me this. God knows what she's telling everyone else on the island. So a lot of companies now really struggle to actually attract talent because you know they'll run their adverts and then people aren't applying and they wonder why. And it's like, hmm, okay. So yeah, we have to be very, very mindful someone's not happy like find out why and you can't make it perfect but even the fact of asking someone hey are you okay are we doing the best that we can you know we want you to be happy and work what can we do uh, within reason even just listening to someone it's fundamentally oh my gosh we've all read the books about belonging and what have you so I will walk over coals for so many people because of what I think of them and how they've treated me and on the other side there's people that haven't and you know you don't go out of your way so anyway back to the survey and we'd love to talk about things like that. So yeah, one of the things that I wanted to know as well, because in the work that I do, I'm trying to help companies, you know, when they need to recruit, you know, what's going to be a successful recruitment campaign, you know, there's lots of different things you can kind of do one size doesn't fit all. So one of the things I wanted to know is where do candidates look, you know, if you're looking for a job, what do you do? So for me, there's probably four key places. So Royal Gazette, the Bermuda Job Board, which is an awesome tool, you might look at employment agencies, or you might use social media, I would say in Bermuda, they're the so I asked everybody to let me know, you know, what was the place that they go. And um, so top, as always, it seems, is the Royal Gazette. So over 38% of people still look at the Royal Gazette for jobs. So this really helps me when companies are, you know, wanting to get the most from an, an advertising campaign. And um, so I'm like, yeah, we still need to do the Royal Gazette. And you can advertise, you can do it, you know, three days, two days, one day, as much as you want. But yeah, that's definitely, so companies will still advertise there. So that was good to see. And then the second one was a Bermuda job boards that gets a lot of traffic so again this is definitely where companies will utilize these platforms so for any job seekers out there definitely still look at the job board it's a great resource the next one was social media as we are both big LinkedIn advocates and definitely there's jobs that get posted on there so I would definitely be using social media platforms as well and then the last one was employment agencies so we're still a little bit old school in Bermuda we still buy the paper we still you know so that was good to see as well it's really interesting in New Zealand 70% of the hiring is off LinkedIn. Wow. So just to go to the other side of the world, (laughs) if you want to get a job, you need to have a great profile on LinkedIn because it's your brand. So if you don't have a profile on LinkedIn, that's your brand. You're not showing up. If you have one on LinkedIn and you're not posting or it's not current or your photos are way out of date, that's your brand. You're not taking care of how you present yourself, building on your brand ambassador. You're also your own ambassador as a professional, as a leader, as an organization, as a 
a team. So what you do is if in New Zealand, the number one is actually social media, which is number one, it's LinkedIn. Yeah, having a good profile, showing up, posting, commenting, sharing what your activities are demonstrates whether, you know, the quality of you as a candidate and also will reach out. That was something I saw a lot of in New Zealand. I'd be contacted by people who wanted to ask me, was I available for projects, for contracts, for certain job opportunities? And so that was very different to what you've just said about Bermuda. And that's really good to know because we don't always realize that LinkedIn is a fabulous platform for that as well it is is. and what I do hesitant sometimes from people that you know they don't do Instagram they don't like social media they're worried and concerned so I I say to people that you don't actually need to have a full-on profile create an account and use it as a database so you know you see an advert in the paper for a a company you're interested in type that company into LinkedIn to search and you'll see everybody that works there so you can still access it without putting yourself out there just to try and start using it and before you know it you'll see the value so if you can just create an account and just have it basic and just use it for a search function for sure you know one example of this is I've just hired a Bermudian in the UK and who saw one of my posts on LinkedIn and we're going to bring her back to the UK in a year once she's kind of started in the role and stuff but you know if I hadn't had LinkedIn and someone hadn't seen that and shared how did I know about this Bermudian in the UK so I know social media can be a bit scary but I always say to people keep it professional you know LinkedIn is so professional take it out of your mind it's not like Facebook it's not like Instagram Instagram, it's professional, it's on there, there's amazing people. So it is really interesting. I think I actually like how Bermuda is still old school and we still do the newspaper and stuff. So that was good for me to see. And then another question that I asked is what do you think is like the leading industry on the island now? And again, just to preface this, my reach is wide ranging. Yes, I do recruit in the insurance and a lot of the corporate roles, but I recruit other industry sectors as well. So the top industry that everybody said is leading on the island is reinsurance insurance so that came top the second leading industry was regulatory or compliance related now that's no surprise I'm seeing so many Bermudians that are getting awesome qualifications and looking at privacy and things like that I mean that's been pushed out from a a global regulatory standpoint and and the BMA so that's definitely I say to anyone that's a surefire career unfortunately the way the world is we have to protect ourselves from nasty people so yeah AML compliance cyber all that stuff is definitely a big industry and then the other one was legal related so any law and legal they were literally all the top any other industry didn't really sort of get a sniff Um, and again that's just people's personal views and it could come from what they're reading what their friends are saying but I didn't just serve everybody in the insurance so disclaimer there and I think the overarching for me and what I've been doing and practicing for over a year is you don't know something don't rely on assumptions or biases don't read something or hear from someone and just think oh that's a rubbish company oh that's not happening and then take that as your truth like find it out for yourself go out there find out what's going on and this is why you know I love to speak to as many people as possible because you know since I'll just give you some figures people always kind of ask me this since October last year I've placed over 17 people in permanent jobs I've placed five people in temporary jobs and that's just me kind of thing now none of these will be in the public domain nobody really knows about it and stuff so there's good things happening there and I think for me last year when I resigned from my last
last employer and took a couple of months off. It was awful not being able to speak to all my HR people and find out what's going on. Are you okay? So then slowly as I started to speak to everyone and hear sort of, you know, what was happening, I was quite relieved because so much recruitment was going on. People were getting hired during lockdown. So again, I have to say, don't just take people's word for it. Go and find out for yourself. There is a lot of good stuff going on in this island and a lot of great hires being made, a lot of movement going on behind the scenes. And again, that isn't new, Michelle. There's always been kind of two views. Just look in the paper and think that's all the jobs and that's what's happening. But there's always lots of things going on behind the scenes. So I I do encourage people to think positive and realize that there's a lot of people making a lot of money. A lot of people are pivoting. Also, in terms of why people are looking for jobs, what's happened last year, again, with people not feeling valued and questioning, like, hang on a minute, life's a bit too short. I might not be miserable, but I'm not 100% happy. Hey, I'm actually going to go somewhere else. So there's loads of movement. People are leaving jobs to be entrepreneurs, take time off and study. So whenever people are leaving jobs, there's still the jobs there. So I would say, yeah, we're not getting tons of new jobs, but there's still opportunities there when people are moving around. So any movement is always good, I would say. So that was just me going on my little tangent. You posted recently about diversity in the recruiter's role, and it was very timely because we've had some great events in the last, throughout March around this. But diversity, inclusion, what's your philosophy on this? What, what are you passionate about? Yeah, so I think for me, I always feel like the right person for the job. It shouldn't matter who they know, what they look like, you know, sometimes even the results on a degree. I mean, some companies on the island are very particular. If you don't have a certain GPA, if you don't have this, they won't even look at your resume. And it's so short-sighted. So for me, I've always kind of been probably a bit blinkered that it's it's the right person for the role. I have been in situations which I've been quite public about in the past as a recruiter where a company sort of starts dictating we want a girl we want a boy we want this and so I tend to well I I don't get involved with companies that have those kind of off the record candidate specifications let's say so I just think that if you look around at the rainforest if you look around and just go on a walk and look in the bushes you have to have a mixture of different things and weirdly enough they just create amazing things so the more diverse that you have the more different influences and opinions and for me just creates more ideas and, and opportunities So why would you want all of the same kind of people educated at the same school that look all the same? Like, you're just going to have the same opinion. Me, I'm like, that's a bit boring. And it might do the job. It might be successful in one kind of area. But if you look at your friend set, like for me, I have friends that are 16. Actually, I have one of my friends, Vanessa Robinson's daughter. She's four. (laughs) She's my best friend. One of my best friends. So I have friends from 16, 17, right up to 90 years old. And I think you've got to kind of ask yourself as well, are you taking taking charge of that and surrounding yourself just at home in your personal life, you know, and you might actually surprise yourself and think, actually, yeah, all my friends kind of look like me. We go to the same place and maybe go and make a new friend. You will learn something definitely. So I do think it's a topic that keeps popping up, I think, for the last three or four years. And the reason why I've just done this post is I'm studying for a course is to do with recruitment and it's coming out of the UK and it's all about, you know, legislation and, you know, best practice. And it's been amazing to kind of read and to read that diversity 
creativity side, I just thought it sums it up perfectly. But again, I have to say, I haven't really worked at a firm where there has been any issues. And I think my view is quite sheltered and limited, to be honest, um, because I have had people commenting on the post, which have obviously been in situations. So my view on it is mix it up, multicultural as much as possible. And I don't want to hear anyone ever say they're too old. Candidates ever say that to me, but Steph, what am I going to do? I turn 60 next year and I'm stopped right there. Like, oh my gosh, you should own that. That's amazing. So I have to say there's some firms on the island that embrace that. So they might have a mandatory retirement age, say 55. So they'll make them retire and then they hire them back on as a consultant because they're awesome at the job. So yeah. Great points. A lot of wisdom in those statements. Having been in and around international business for over four decades, I can remember in the late 80s being the only woman in a boardroom of men in black suits. And they were all white. And I was working for the Fortune 500. And the first thing they would say to me when I'd get in the room is how they took their coffee. Now I'm placing a multi-million dollar deal before the underwriters for access liability, property casualty, DNO. But I was rated on whether I could make coffee. Secret confession I don't make coffee and when I got asked to there were grains in it because I didn't understand coffee makers so I had a super f on that yeah in the 90s I was very involved in mediations and arbitrations and it was really interesting to look at the dynamics around the table and even though they were again all white males they came from different backgrounds different faiths different experiences different places of origin and you'd have to navigate these already set in place biases and prejudice and then I set up the human rights mediation for them in the early noughties. And that was a real eye-opener because I saw again issues that women would have having to be on the golf course to do business, having to meet in bars to do business. Well, a woman in those environments who's perhaps not growing up with that, it, it is an uncomfortable place to be. I do not hang out in bars. It's not my thing. It's not my culture. But I did recall having to do a human rights mediation or I put my corporate peacemaker his hat on, where there was a woman, an alternative, well, not an alternative faith, she was Muslim, I think. And she was on a team that was predominantly from the UK. And they went out for dinner and drinks. And that was not a place that she could be, or if she had to be, it would cost her. So she became an outsider on her team. And hands down, the HR for this international business handled that brilliantly. The woman actually wanted human rights training around diversity issues brought in so that they would understand that as a woman of a certain faith, this made her extremely uncomfortable. But also if they looked at it, it compromised her promotion, her performances and how she was viewed, not necessarily how she was performing or was promoted. So I really appreciate the fact that you were bringing in the diversity and inclusion. Although you thought it's only been in recent times, I can take you back to the 80s and I'm sure a a woman of more institutional history could tell you some more stories around that. So Steph, I really value what you're doing. Okay. So I think this is probably a good time to clarify what it is I do. So my role is to work with companies predominantly on the island to attract the local talent. I have heard about obviously the nomads coming and working here. I love the fact we're this small little ecosystem where the CEO of a company, you can bump into them in Lindo and stuff, you know, we're so small and confined, which again is really attractive and it's exciting, but also you have to be very careful that, you know, how you present yourself 
yourself and what have you. You know, we're not in New York where you're never going to see probably the same person down the street again. You know, what I do is work with companies to help them do the best that they can to manage a recruitment campaign, but then also ensuring that that the candidate enjoys the process as well. So I do get a lot of people that reach out to me, you know, maybe they've had a job offer from a company and they're like, Steph, they've offered me this job. Does it sound right? Because I have a lot of information about what people are getting paid and all the benefits. And again, across the industry sector. So I'm always happy to give some of my thoughts and advice and help them with a negotiation, even if it's nothing to do with my client as such. So I do really enjoy that. And again, I like to use the network that I've had then to raise awareness for a lot of the third sector and not-for-profits on the island as well. That's a big passion and, and things of mine. But I always get back to people. I don't ignore people. But I have to say that most of the people that reach out to me tend to really be here already on the island. Steph, I really appreciate you being here today and all your wisdom, data. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's uh, a very telling story. And also a big shout out for the HRs that are getting it right. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on, Michelle. Dr. Michelle St. Jane is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul-hearted desires. Your support is valued. Please subscribe. Leave a review and a rating. But more importantly, share with your connections.